Hello and welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tegal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Jeff Dill, CEO at Vynamic. Jeff has over 20 years of experience in the healthcare consulting world. Previously at Accenture, he joined healthcare industry management consulting firm Vynamic in 2005, where he has been ever since, and he is now CEO. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the show. Roman, thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, my, my pleasure. It's, uh, I'm, I'm really pleased to have you, uh, our listeners, get the opportunity to hear your story and also just uh, some of the amazing things that you do at Vynamic. So just to get started, Jeff, it'd be great if you could tell the listeners about you know, how you got into the sector and you know, from college to, to what you do today. Give us a kind of an overview of, of that journey. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, the earlier part of my career, I, I really honed my consulting skills, as you mentioned, working at Accenture. Uh, and on my very first project, I had the chance to work with another Accenture colleague by the name of Dan Callista. So um, Dan became the founder of Dynamic um, with what he liked to call the world's shortest business plan, which was just based on the letter V. I didn't have a lot <laughs> much else at that point. And it was Basically, the letter V stand for values and vitality, and he had a belief that there was a better way for consulting and a more, really a more sustainable lifestyle for consultants. And as I got a chance to get to know him better, not only did I believe in that purpose of a better way, but I also believed we could create something special together. So I really liked the idea of you know, taking what I loved about consulting and then I learned at Accenture, but also you know, reimagining and changing the game to create a better experience for both consultants and clients. You know, so for example, could a consultant be more empowered throughout their staffing process to a project? Or I'd often see examples of the stereotype of sort of that, you know, the young, arrogant consultant. And, you know, could could you create a company that has, you know, bold and humble consultants, but maybe leaves the arrogance behind, right? There was a lot of these hypotheses to be tested as we started Dynamic years ago. So as you mentioned, I joined in August of 2005 when it was just four of us and we were really charting out the future of the company. So over my 15 years, you know, in terms of my exposure and experience within healthcare and specifically life sciences, um, I was the account manager for one of our large life sciences accounts earlier on at Vynamic. And I had the chance to work on some you know, really exciting projects focused on you know, patient digital experience, as well as how to best meet the needs of healthcare professionals through the channels that they preferred. And you know, we grew as a team there um, at that client and worked really across all aspects of the client's businesses challenges from product launches to commercial excellence to large technology initiatives and um and, and then in 2012 we were scaling you know at a fast pace at dynamic so i became the coo in 2012 so more focused internally and across all aspects of the business and then in, and then in 2018 uh, i became the ceo of dynamic and well thank you for that and i wanted to just rewind back to when you joined in 2005 did you envisage yourself running the company 15 years later could you have imagined that back then yeah, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> no, you know, I mean, it was funny the, when the four of us, I'll, I'll never forget when we were, we were basically all in a conference room together and uh, on a big whiteboard and we were charting out our first ever financial plan, right? We were uh, not doing much money at the time, as you can imagine, with four of us. And we, we had a big whiteboard and said, what, what did we, what do we love about consulting? What have we really enjoyed about our four collective experiences? And what could we change if we had the chance? And right now we have the chance. And I, we all figured the worst thing that could happen is this thing, uh, you know, doesn't doesn't go the way we want it to go. And we, we all go back and get real jobs. Uh, but obviously, I'm, I'm glad it was successful. But in the beginning, it was just 
trying to figure out, I, I had a passion, you know, a lot of the people I worked with in consulting, eventually there was that view that you had to graduate to industry and move on and kind of off of your consulting path. And, and I didn't think that needed to be the case, right? And then when I looked ab above me at Accenture, I saw, you know, the partner path was certainly there, but it, it felt tricky uh, personally and, and with the family and kids and, and um, just the type of work style. And, and I just didn't see that as the path for me. So I said, well, if I don't want to stay here in the partner track and I, I don't want to go to industry, what are the other options? Well, maybe, you know, joining Dan forces with Dan and others and, and charting your own path was the right answer. So that's really was my main thought. How can I stay in consulting and see if we can find a better way to do it and, and make a better kind of lifestyle for team members and a better working relationship with clients? Very good. I love what you said there about just not following the kind of partner path. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, you know, truth in that for a lot of people of just not taking that, you know, just because yeah. everyone's going in one direction, it doesn't mean you can't go in another, which is really interesting. And tell us a little bit more about Vynamic. And obviously Vynamic was acquired uh, a few years ago by Ashfield. And if you can kind of give us a bit of an overview of how Vynamic fits into a larger organization, that would be, that'd be great. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, so Vynamic, we describe ourselves, you know, kind of with four um, kind of keywords as healthcare industry management consultants. And from a healthcare definition perspective, you know, we view the healthcare industry as five interwoven sectors. So we actually work across all of them. That includes life sciences or pharma, but we also work um, with providers and health plans and healthcare technology companies, as well as sort of broader public health. And so, you know, we have a what we like to say is a reimagined approach that's focused on helping clients achieve three key outcomes, and that's actionable strategy, operational intelligence, and a healthy culture. And so that the services that we provide across those three key outcomes range from uh, strategic planning to helping a company you know, with an acquisition, acquisition integration, to customer experience innovation, large technology transformation projects, helping a company with their operating model. So it's, it's a it's a vast amount of services that we provide across a number of different areas. Now, your question's a good one in terms of how we fit into Asheville and UDG. And it's, you know, as part of a broader transformation that UDG and Ashfield have been going through, we were actually the first consulting company to join Ashfield. So after the, the past number of years, it's actually been four bus businesses, actually five businesses as of this past week, have now joined a new division of Ashfield called Ashfield Advisory. And those businesses consist of, you know, Vynamic and also STEM Healthcare, a company called Smart Analyst, Putnam Associates, and then as of this week, most recently, PHMR. And the, the way we describe Ashfield Advisory is, is, a, is a carefully curated ecosystem of boutique advisory businesses, which can offer sort of a powerful combination of insight and strategy and evaluation of clients' businesses to really taking action for our clients. And I think it's a, it's a great, it's a great combo to more broadly support our clients' needs. Now, Ashfield Advisory happens to be one of three divisions of Ashfield. The others are Ashfield Engage, uh, which is more on the global engagement and commercialization partner side of things. So they do anything from large contact centers, patient engagement programs, you know, medical science liaisons, nurse educators, remote sales. And then there's Ashfield Health, which is a network of specialist communications agencies and that could be that could be medcoms you know medical communications to full service agencies there's pr government policy so a full breadth of capabilities and i i'm excited where i see these three divisions having a real strong breadth of services with an impressive array of sort of diverse specialists um, to, to help clients 
well, thanks for kind of giving us the overview and kind of how it all fits together. And at a, at a dynamic level, can you kind of explain how you typically help, say, pharma and biotech companies, uh, you know, bring drugs to market? What is what is that, uh, I suppose, offering and and uh, capability look like? Yeah, I, I alluded to some of our services, but, you know, one, as an example, you know, one of our key services is focused on product launch for life sciences companies. So we have we have extensive experience across, you know, a number of therapeutic areas in supporting life sciences companies with complex launches. Uh, however, in addition to the work that we do to bring drugs to market, we also do a lot of work with teams, the actual teams themselves, to, to ensure, you know, once a drug is in market, whether it's the healthcare professionals or payers or patients, like how do they have an optimal experience across that specific disease state and across all the healthcare sectors? So specific examples could be um, we, we making a clinical trial process more efficient or um, alluding to product launch, you know, cross-functional launch planning. How do you get a, um, and, and then the launch excellence. Uh, brand strategy is another uh, piece of work that we do with our clients. Strategy across both Metafairs and uh, market access. And then, you know, we also, as, as pharma companies are continually trying to innovate, we've done a lot of work with innovation enablement and really bringing a more design thinking approach to our clients, like iterative and agile approach to innovating. And as the world is changing so fast. That's great. Thank you. And, and one thing I, I kind of notice about what you guys do is almost helping companies navigate the complexity of the regulatory environment. And I'm curious to see, I suppose, in, in this COVID uh, world we're living in right now, how do you see that complexity changing post-COVID? Obviously, we've seen vaccines come to market very quickly and uh, the regulatory bodies having to move at a speed that we've never, <laughs> that we've never yeah. ever before, given your, uh, I suppose, you see right across, uh, you know, drug development, right to commercialization and beyond that, how do you see that complexity changing, uh, you know, in a, in a, you know, in the next five or 10 years? Yeah, it's been fascinating. I think, you know, obviously we've all been through the challenge uh, and, and are still going through the challenge of COVID-19, but it's, it's certainly created some change. And I, I think even pre-COVID, we saw accelerated approvals, let's say in, in um, areas of oncology and rare disease. But I think the COVID vaccine process, as you alluded to, it proved that there are still a lot of inefficiencies uh, to, be, to be found in the drug approval process, right? So how can we make that more efficient? And I'm, I'm hopeful that the speed of the COVID vaccine approvals can be applied in the appropriate ways to other drugs and therapeutic areas. I think that's one. I think it's also surprising just how much the drug submission process is still paper-based. I mean, picture... Picture taking binders and binders of submission documentation to, to regulatory bodies as part of the approval process. That is not uncommon. And I think COVID has forced the different regulatory bodies in different geographies to adopt more digital or online solutions. I, I hope also, I, I think we'll see, I think we'll see some new guidelines in 2021 for precision medicine. And I, I would say, I'd say we'll also see more collaboration globally across regulatory bodies. If you think about the FDA or the EMA, I think COVID certainly been a ref very reflective time for that perspective, as, as this is a uh, rarely before, maybe never, are we dealing with a global challenge where everyone's kind of in that same boat together? That's really interesting. And, and it kind of links to my follow-up question. I was going to ask you about, um, are you seeing any particularly ty you know, particular types of uh, 
products or therapy types, you know, really coming through the market. Obviously, you mentioned oncology, uh, precision medicines. Are you guys seeing any particular trends as a result of COVID or even just before that, just a continuation of, uh, you know, the types of products that are likely to you know, come to market in the next few years? Yeah, I, I think it's similar to what I was referencing, just that, you know, a little bit before COVID, when it, when it comes to specialty medicine and, and oncology or gene therapy and cell therapy and these are more specific challenges that have to be tackled in new ways, whether it's patient support or the way drugs get administered or the way they need to be looked at from an approval perspective. So I think that was already that, that certainly that trend. And then when you put COVID on top of that, I am optimistic that the way in which we've had to move quickly, uh, but also safely with COVID will, will apply to other you know, future life-saving medicines for uh, patient populations that really need it. And, and what you said before, Jeff, around, uh, I suppose, the speed of approval of, of the vaccines and, and moving towards uh, more digital rather than paper-based methodology, are those things that you expect to happen you know, as a result of this? You know, I think you, you said, like, those are things that have happened. Do you, do you see those trends becoming the norm, you know, faster approval of drugs and uh, you know, less paper, which I find phenomenal, <laughs> you know, that there's so much paper still used. I know, uh, I know. I, I think I think the short answer is yes. And I think it's it's become you know, a lot of these things where it, it's really fascinating, even in the day to day way in which we work. Could I have ever imagined that, you know, Vynamic would be working remotely for the past year and still servicing our clients, right? Think about that same, you know, approach from a a patient uh, doctor interaction or a pharma um, doctor interaction. Like there are, we have, we have shown that there are ways, right? I think in, if you even think about ways of working, I think most employers, you know, have maybe some old school thinking that, well, I need that person to be on site and I want to see if they're productive. And is that is the work getting done. I think more and more you realize, well, it's really about results, right? And, uh, and how do you best enable people to get the job done? I think that applies similarly within the healthcare industry. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's funny, Jeff, you know, even in my own experience over the last year or so, I remember we appointed someone uh, in London as a, in a very senior role a year ago. And it was a big deal for me at the time because it was like, wow, we, we don't have a London presence. And how, you know, how is he going to integrate with the team from a cultural perspective? And then COVID happens and, you know, now we're employing people all over the world and it kind of no one cares where the location That's is. That's right. And it's, uh, I've already you know, seen that in my own behavior. So I imagine it's the same with other uh, business leaders. And I wanted to, it gives me a nice segue into something I was really keen to talk to you about. You actually, you mentioned the phrase healthy culture. So I'd like to talk about culture. Everything, you know, if I, the research I did beforehand looking at Vynamic as a business, it seems to be one of the most interesting and amazing corporate cultures that I've, that I've ever come across actually, particularly in this sector. So my first question is, it would be great for you to kind of paint a picture of the culture of, of Vynamic uh, and the kind of second part of interested to know how it's been impacted by COVID and what you guys have had to do to retain uh, that special culture that you guys seem seem to have. Yeah, I think, first of all, I appreciate that. And I'm glad, I'm glad that's coming through when you kind of do some research on us. We, we certainly take pride in our culture. So I think first... It's so important for a company to have a set of values that everyone believes in, and they, and they really do mean something, um, that they're not just words up on a wall somewhere. And you know, we're, we're very much focused on the team member as the first priority, and that, that could come across as controversial, but 
clients are of course extremely important and they make our world go round but i i find that if you take care of your team they will take care of your clients and, and the clients will be getting engaged powerful team members that just want to solve complex problems so you know our culture kind of painting that picture is, is articulated in what we call our vitals that's the encapsulation of our culture and so the, the word vitals is what's most vitally important to us and also a playoff off the healthcare industry with our vital signs. And that includes our purpose, it includes our vision as a company, our values, and what we call our I am commitments. And those are the behaviors that we're looking to have exhibited and hold each other accountable to. And the phrase I like to use the most is something we say about cultural processes. And we have a strong focus on cultural processes. And it may seem a, a strange phrase, but if, if you think about it, culture is, is about your company's values and behaviors. And then a process is something that's repeatable and scalable, right? So if you can if you can find that special sauce of having your culture that can be scalable and repeatable, we've taken the effort to actually document our important cultural processes. And this could be um, orientation, the way we orient new team members or our inclusive staffing, um, staffing process and empowerment. It could be the way we do strategic planning or company meetings or... You know, and I think that that has been really, really critical to our success to really hone in on those things and double down on what works well. And maybe final, I think that really our culture is all about creating an, you know, an environment where people can bring their full self to work every day, be authentic, right? And so that's, that's a huge part of our culture as well. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. How do you, and I'm just, I know I asked you another question, I'll come back to that, but there will be people listening to this that will completely understand everything that you've just said and the importance of purpose, uh, vision, values. One really interesting point that you said about documentation. How do you document culture then? Because I know you guys have got now and correct me if I'm wrong, you've got four offices now in, in different parts of the world. How do you then scale up that culture and what do those documents look like? How do they feel? Uh, just because I know that's one of the things that people struggle with when they say uh, acquire, you know, open a new office in a new territory or acquire a yeah. different business. So any <laughs> any pearls of wisdom you can share? Sure. Yeah. 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 We actually have, you know, one of the most important uh, points in our company's history was, was actually just about 10 years ago. It was in 2011 where for years we had talked about our culture, but it wasn't it wasn't captured as easily. You know, we use certain words. So we actually have sort of a two-sided piece of paper. It can be folded up to look about the size of a business card. Um, but it, it when you unfold it, it's actually the front and back of a paper that has has those areas that I was talking about. It starts with our purpose of we believe there's a better way. It's at, it's at the heart of everything we do. We train on that. Like, why does Vynamic exist, right? It doesn't exist because the world needed another consulting company. That really, certainly wasn't the case. But we did feel like there was a better way. So that's at the that's the heart of why we exist. Then we have our values that are captured on that, that front and back of that page. And it's our five values of living, leading, learning, growing, and thriving. And we have statements around those values. And and for us, those values added up to one another equal equal one word, and that word is healthy. We feel like if, if team members are living those values, that equals healthy. And so then we took it a step further with our vision, and it may sound a little crazy and out there, but our vision is to be the healthiest company in the world. Now, again, that, that definition of healthy is, is not that we can do 100 push-ups and sit-ups, all of us. It's, that, <laughs> it's that, we, that we're living out those values, right? That we feel like we're living to build a better tomorrow through our community service, that we're leading with integrity with our clients, that we're learning by daring to think big, or 
thriving with the freedom to apply our unique strengths and growing for our people, not at the expense of our people. All those, all those phrases are really important. And then we have these I am commitments and they could be, those are the behavior side of culture, which is I am not afraid to fail forward, right? I'm a member of a structured yet non-hierarchical team. Uh, I'm in control of where I work and what I do. I'm responsible for the success of dynamic. All those things really, and, and, we, and we train on those things. We talk about them. We start a lot of our internal meetings with the vitals. And, uh, and we actually had a strategic priority on it a couple of years ago to really relook at the whole set of vitals. And we ended up not changing much, but there were a few words we changed here and there. And, but the main benefit of, of making it a strategic priority for a year is, is to just re-engage the whole company in it. And, and I think that's what's important. It's got to be a it's got to be a lens with which all strategic decision making is made, right? It has to drive your priorities versus something that's just off to the side. Yeah, I love, I love that. And there's just so many learnings there for, for people listening around how to, how to develop and grow a particular culture in the business and even just reassessing them like you guys did. You know, sometimes it's just tweaking what you've already come up with, but companies evolve and grow and your culture has to evolve and grow with it as that's well, right. which is uh, really interesting. And, and how, and go back to my previous question uh, about how have you managed to evolve and make that all work, you know, in this new world we're living with, presumably most of your team are, are working from home. Um, I know you've just invested in a beautiful office in Philadelphia as well. Yeah. It'd be great if you can talk <laughs> about that. But yeah, just how you guys have managed to uh, retain and uh, maybe even improve that, that, that cultural uh, kind of aspect of your business. Yeah. And as, as you mentioned, the, the, our physical office space is often a big and an enjoyable part of our culture. So that's something we've we've missed a lot. We did do a, a big renovation of our of our Philadelphia headquartered space. And unfortunately, we haven't had a chance to to reap the re rewards and benefits of that. We actually created a video that we launched to the team recently just to show them what it looks like so that when we get back in person, we can enjoy it. But I, I think we've we've certainly had to get more creative with culture and you know, first, it's worth mentioning, I'm, I'm grateful that our business has performed well during these rough times. And I know all businesses haven't been as fortunate. So for us, it's on the culture that's been less about the business performance and more how do we keep our culture so strong in a remote environment. And I think the answer does go back to focusing on our values and thinking about what can we do for our team, for our clients, for our community during these times. And so we, we've focused on things like you know, mental health, physical health, team members, home office environments, giving the right resources to improve those as sending packages. You know, the amount of packages that we send is, is shocking. I think it's whether it's food or fun cocktails to team members houses. Right. We've we've kept our main company events and, and parties intact and have just, again, gotten creative with how we execute them remotely. And, and I think another thing about the culture is that you should be embracing home, pe you know, people's home lives. Right. It's like encourage ki kids to jump on into a Zoom or a dog or a partner. And we have, we have support groups that we've launched a bit with, with parents with small children. That's been critical. I have three teenagers and that, that's been challenging enough, but I can't imagine <laughs> having young kids right now. And then I think the last point is the whole world is going through something you know, really uh, unprecedented. And I think using our financial resource that we have to make a difference in our community for the causes we're most passionate about, that's a, a key card, part of our culture as well. That's been important. Uh, it's some, some great stuff. And then the, the, the bit I've, I was chuckling at is the packages. Piece because I mean we have the same thing and it's the same uh, you know packages just arriving left right and center and uh, my my wife recently I persuaded her to do a little bit of work for our business and about a week into her uh, working for the business this package arrived uh, outside and I'm like oh uh, you know, my wife Selena it's for you 
I'll bring it in and open it up and it's a welcome box from the business. <laughs> I, I, I founded my business, so I never got this welcome box. <laughs> and it was, and the kids were so excited because it was just full of, uh, you know, chocolates and goodies and stuff like that. And it was funny just watching the reaction of my wife, like felt really special and engaged. And it's such a simple thing to make your team, you know, or give your team a sense of what, what the culture is about and, and being thoughtful and caring. So I think that's a, even a really simple lesson for people to take away. Um, and one thing you said there, which I was going to ask you about, I'm going to move on to leadership, but you said you had three teenage uh, kids and you strike me as a real kind of uh, you know, fantastic leader. What what parallels do you see, or are there any parallels you see between being a father and a leader in an organization or are they completely different in your, in your mind? No, yeah, I think um, it's funny. I had a we did some training at Dynamic a long time ago. We were trying to come up with our six-word memoir, we were calling it, kind of thinking about what your leadership brand is and your leadership approach. And it was actually really good to think about because I was able to, to, to tie both personal and professional. And from a personal perspective, my kids are getting a little older now, but I've since my, you know, I have a 17-year-old and twin 14-year-olds. And since they were, my 17-year-old was four, I've coached, you know, all three kids and in basketball or soccer, and and I love it, and it keeps me connected to them, and 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 uh, so my six-word memoir I came up with was coaching as much as I can, and that was really my passion, and I think it applies to both uh, my professional life and personal life. I really enjoy coaching, I really enjoy teaching and helping others to learn, and whether that's a team I'm coaching or my kids and what they're doing in school or the dynamic team, I, I just love it. That's great. I love it. Coaching as much as I can. I'm definitely, uh, definitely stealing that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I wanted to talk about uh, leadership. You've obviously um, <clears throat> spoken about culture and values. And obviously, you guys seem to have a fantastic uh, leadership team that enabled your business to really thrive and, and grow. You talk about, correct me if I get this phrase wrong, uh, servantship leadership philosophy. And it's not something I've come across before. Uh, and so I'd love you to kind of explain what that means and, and maybe a little bit about what your leadership style is like. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, the, the phrase servant leadership has always really resonated for me. And when I've, you know, whether it's taken personality tests in the past or tried to figure out what type of leader I am, I think it's, it's that it's really um, a leadership philosophy where the, the main goal is, is to be a, as a leader is to serve right? Versus to sort of command and control environment or, you know, a dictatorship of some kind and what I say goes and all that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, and especially at a place like Dynamic, we hire um, really, really talented, accomplished leaders. So these are really smart people. Every time we hire someone, I'm like, oh, I got to raise my game to the next level. <laughs> and so for me, it's like, how do I empower the, these powerhouse team members um, to do the, the best they can and create an environment for them, whether it's culture or whether it's the type of work we go after, or help with business development to, to sell exciting projects. And I think, you know, it, it, it's really the, the principles around servant leadership are anywhere from just really listening, right? And instead of just telling and talking all the time or having empathy or awareness of other people's personal and professional situations. You know, how do I be a great steward of our culture and help others as well? So that's worked really well for me. And it's also, I think, the type of people that we hire that they they would they want that from a leader as opposed to some some command commanding environment. Uh, thank you for that, and thank you for sharing those uh, kind of insights. On I love what you said, even just being empathetic. I think particularly at the minute, empathy is such an important part of being a leader where people are going through difficult times personally as well as professionally. So I think it's a really yes. important lesson for people to take away. 
So people listening to this are going to be thinking, Jeff's absolutely perfect. He's never made a mistake. He's not ever done anything wrong in his life. So I wanted to ask you about mistakes and um, things that you've got wrong or any failures in your career that that presumably you've, you've really learned from. Are there any particular ones that you can recall or situations or scenarios or just, you know, decisions that you got wrong? Wow. How much time? Is this a five-hour podcast? How much time do we have, Ramon? Uh, yeah. No, I mean, you know, one of our five values is learning. And what we say is you should learn by daring to think big. And I'm learning every day. I'm, I'm, uh, we also like to say I'm not afraid to fail forward. So I think that's embracing, really embracing failure. I'm, I'm failing every day, <laughs> probably in many ways. And I, I once heard the phrase that really stuck with me, no discomfort, no growth. And uh, unfortunately, I believe that to be true. I, I think that's the best way to learn. So I don't think you can dwell on your mistakes. Like I was thinking of, you know, I could go down a path of many failures, but one story comes to mind is in 2003, when I was thinking about joining Dynamic after Accenture, I was a little worried about the risk. I ended up instead joining my Accenture client full time for a couple of years and referred a friend of mine to join Dynamic. So I wasn't kind of that second person to join. I was the fourth person to join. And I let that two years go by. And I'm wondering, you know, I, I there's times I reflect, actually, I've just jumped in out of the gate. And, but at the same time, I reflect how much I learned in, in industry in those two years, like taking a break from consulting, doing two years of industry, getting that perspective when I was in my kind of late 20s, early 30s. And so I think oftentimes there's no right or wrong answers. There's just decisions and trade-offs, right? So I think embrace the journey, learn each and every day and embrace your failures. And I think that's the entrepreneurial spirit that we have at Dynamic as well. That's one of our kind of adjectives we, we talk about is entrepreneurial, even as we scale, because you know failure is gonna happen and that's where you're gonna learn the most. And of course, entrepreneurially, it's best to fail fast, but failure is is gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, that's fantastic advice there, you know, embracing the failures and not dwelling on mistakes. I think a lot of us give ourselves a really hard time when we make decisions that don't go to plan. So I think, yeah, learning from them, you know, just moving on is, is great advice. And if you could go back and give your 25 year old self some advice, what, what advice would you give him, Jeff? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I would, I would probably tell him to not stress out quite as much. You know, I, I, I like to take things in stride, but I am, you know, goal oriented, achievement oriented. And so I'd, I'd probably say enjoy the, the ride a little bit more, you know, not don't don't stress out. Life's life's a journey, right? Not a destination. The, the common phrase. And other than that, maybe some stocks I would buy, maybe Amazon. Maybe that's what I would tell myself 20 years ago. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, other yeah. than that, yeah, I think those are some of the key things. It's, it's interesting, you know, that enjoy the ride line that you, you said there is something that I've, you know, in, in the 50 or 50 plus interviews I've done in the last year is something I hear again and again. And it's something that you don't necessarily think about in your 20s because you're just so focused on moving forward and not stopping to appreciate <laughs> how far you've come. Um, yeah, in one sense, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad I worked hard and I'm glad I'm where I am today. And But it's hard. It's, it's really hard to have that perspective. You have just different perspectives, different uh, takes on life. You know, each five years, you look back and you say, wow, what, what an amazing last five years. I wonder what I would have done differently. But a lot of it's just perspective. And sometimes that just comes with, with experience as well. Uh, exactly, exactly. And how would your best friend describe you in, in three words? My best friend? Um, I think competitive might be the first word they say. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a, a sports junkie and uh, love competition. And I even love, I love competition within work as well. I just, I like it externally. I don't like it internally. That's actually part of the structure with Dynamic was to create incentives in a dynamic where we could be 
who could compete in the marketplace really well, but not compete internally. I think that was really important to me. But I am competitive. Fun. We uh, added something to our value system most recently, and it was the I am commitment. I am having fun at work. And uh, <laughs> that was really important to us. And, I, and it was actually aligned to our leading value. It wasn't just like, oh, when we're not working with clients, we should be having fun. No, no, we should be having fun all the time, right? And clients want to have fun. And how do we have fun together? So competitive fun, and I would say a third word of loyal. Excellent. Very good. Um, and then the last few minutes we've got, I wanted to kind of switch and talk about, I suppose, the the wider pharma and biotech sector and, and sure. shifts and trends and changes you're, you're seeing on. So I'm going to use one of your words um, that you used right at the start about reimagine. If you could reimagine the life science sector and the drug development sector, what what changes would you make? Um, if mm. you could wave your magic wand and, and do that. Yeah, so I, I think first on the... On the trend side, before I reimagine, I think there is there are so many really fascinating trends, I think. And as we talked a little bit with COVID that are being accelerated, right? There's lots of merger and acquisition, you know, collaboration, partnership activities going on. So um, that's really interesting. I think there's a there's a reimagined field force that's happening, right? Some fewer reps, but also with different skill sets for a virtual world, I think omni-channel, all sorts of digital uh, things going on, knowing more about your customer's kind of channel and messaging preferences. I do think we, we talked about the accelerated drug approvals. I think that's phenomenal. I think that I would like to reimagine that. Some, some parallel clinical trial activities, I think, that happen, right? Whether it's clinical trial design, more efficient clinical trials. Within the digital space, right, there's, there's certainly the virtual telemedicine technology for patient monitoring, right? There's all sorts of aspects of that. I think if I could reimagine the healthcare industry or what would change I'd make, I think there's, it would probably be the word collaboration. Like how can we have more collaboration across all of healthcare? And, you know, if I think about the clients we work across, and again, we work across all aspects of, of uh, healthcare in addition to life sciences. So whether it's life sciences, every provider, every, uh, especially in the U.S. from a health plan perspective, they have patient support programs, they have apps, they have services, there's, there's duplication everywhere. And I don't know if it takes the whole healthcare journey into consideration. And I think every sector is trying to figure out virtual interactions that we were talking about. And rather than seeing each other as adversaries or, you know, disjointed pieces of the puzzle, I think there are so many opportunities to collaborate and coordinate and really share learnings. And at Vynamic, the reason, you know, one of our kind of marks is a starburst, it, it represents the interwoven sectors of healthcare, and, and we're passionate about playing at the center of that. How can we help that collaboration more? And on that collaboration point, I think it's a really interesting subject in the industry right now. Are you seeing more collaboration, you know, in what you do across the board? Are you seeing more companies, you know, dropping their guard a little bit and, and working together, or is that... Does that still feel like a bit of a pipe dream for you? No, it's de I think it's definitely not a pipe dream. And I, I joke about, you know, within our Starburst, we have these five kind of lines that intersect to create that Starburst. And even 15 years ago, I think that the, the different sectors were more at the end of those lines. And now they're, they're more in the middle. I think more and more we're seeing that. And, and, and also that's obviously come from, a, from consolidation. And it's, it becomes harder and harder to figure out what a company actually is. Is it a, is it a, is it a hospital system? Is it a health insurance company? Is it a pharma company? Is it a healthcare tech company? And more and more companies are realizing, I actually started the first number of my years in my career, actually, in, in the financial services industry. So I spent the first 10 years of my career prior to healthcare and financial services. And one thing I noticed was that 
early on, it was like, okay, it was very clear to me what, what a life insurance company was versus a mutual fund company versus, you know, something else. And, and then all of a sudden it just started to become more financial services companies and they were more full service and they offered a number of things. I'm not saying that's the exact same case in healthcare, but I do think that there are some similarities in terms of merging and, and more collaboration that's happening. And I think that the landscape clearly is already changing, but I'm looking forward to even more collaboration in the future. That's great. And that's a, you know, encouraging thing for, for many of our listeners to hear. And there's one thing I wanted to rewind back to, which I was hoping to ask you about, which kind of fits, I suppose, with the sector at large. And it was around diversity and inclusion. I noticed um, on your LinkedIn company page, I think a couple of weeks ago, you put a, there was a note from you about the importance of that. And so I just love your perspective on what is a very topical issue, particularly here in the US at the sure. minute. And, and actually more specific to that, just as you know, one of the conversations I've had with business leaders in the last few months is you know, how do we get a more diverse workforce, right? What does that look, what does that process look like? So any tips or learnings in, in that particular area would be probably really uh, well received by our listeners. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Diversity and inclusion is incredibly important to us. We have a, we have great leadership in this space, so I'm passionate about it, but we also have a diversity and inclusion council at Dynamic and we also have some, some key leadership. We have a diversity and inclusion lead. We have some council leads and they put a tremendous amount of time and passion and energy into this. And uh, I, I couldn't be happier with our, we have a stated vision and a mission related to diversity and inclusion. And I, I thought I'd just kind of quote them really quick just to get people thinking. I think that our vision is that diversity and inclusion are intrinsic to who we are and how we work. And that, that word intrinsic was really deliberate. And then our mission is to cultivate an environment that invites authenticity, celebrates unique perspectives, and fosters belonging. And I think those are really important as well. Like at Dynamic, when I talked about some of the adjectives that we talk about, diversity was one of those adjectives. We actually changed that last year to, to be inclusive. And I think diversity is obviously critical, but I think it's table stakes. I think it's how, how are you inclusive overall is even more important and more all-encompassing. So in terms of what we do and, and how do you create you know, better diversity and inclusion at your company, I mean, we have, I could probably go on and on, we have monthly meetings on different DNI topics. We actually did, to your other question, we, we had a demographic focused recruiting goal for the first time this year, which was important to us. And it was a goal around hiring a certain number of black women. And we had never done that before. And part of the goal was thinking about our own recruiting practices and how we've recruited historically. And, you know, where, where's the funnel of our recruits? And although we've grown successfully and organically over the past through sort of a referral networking, with the referral networking, what you often do is you oftentimes know or refer people that look like you, right? <laughs> and so is that the best way to really recruit to get the maximum amount of diversity and inclusion. And also, as, as I think most people would know, diversity in a company really increases innovation and it, and it, it will help the bottom line as well. So it's, it's, a, it's not just the right thing to do. It's, it's a business imperative. And so uh, we've thought about, all right, well, how can we recruit in, in new and interesting ways to still have the amazing people that we hire today, but just increase the funnel at that top of the funnel, right, to get more people. So, you know, we bring in external speakers, we have team training and and it's actually evolved to the point in the last couple of years where we, we actually have a diversity and inclusion offering that we help our clients with that aligns with kind of that outcome of, of healthy culture for our clients. So it's fun not just to do internally, but to help clients evolve on that uh, journey as well. I think that's some fantastic advice. And what I've really loved about that, Jeff, uh, is, is the kind of granular detail in terms of, you know, looking 
demographically for more black women to work for your organization like i think that's the level of openness and honest honesty i think this sector needs right now and actually not just saying we need more diversity but actually having business imperatives and initiatives like Finamic has to actually try and address that. So um, I think, you know, good on you for, I think as a business, just being so open about uh, addressing that within your organization, which I feel not many do as, as overtly as that. It's, it's often a, hey, we want to be more diverse, but you know, we're, we're not really doing much about yeah. it. So. I, think- I, I encourage anyone to reach out to you and your organization. And I didn't know it was something you actually offered to help external uh, partners and clients. But I think for anyone listening in, in leadership teams, diversity comes up again and again. But trying to work through it is actually quite challenging. So I think if there's businesses like yours that can help them do it and you guys practice what you preach, which I think is important. Yeah, I think, I think Ramon, one thing you said, I think it is, is truly being open through the process because no one knows everything and everyone's on a journey and everyone's on a different journey. And so you have to recognize that everyone comes with different childhoods and backgrounds and places of the world they grew up in and different socioeconomic situations. And so it's a really challenging situation. So the, the best thing is just to be open about it, have clear dialogue, admit what you know and don't know. Everyone has blind spots or biases and, and just you know be open about going on the journey. Amazing. Thank you. Jeff, we are unbelievably out of time. I could honestly ask you questions all day and, and pick your brains about culture and leadership in the sector. You are a really fascinating guy and uh, you know an absolute pleasure to to speak to today. So was there any, I suppose, final comments or requests uh, of, of, for our audience? Um, no, I, I just, I, Ramon, I wanted to say how much I enjoyed the conversation. I'm always open to connecting with others and Dynamics passionate about helping our clients solve complex problems. So, you know, look me up on LinkedIn. Thanks, Jeff. Stay safe. Thanks for being a guest on Molecule to Market. Thank you. again thanks so much for tuning in to molecule to market we hope you enjoyed today's episode you can find more shows on spotify apple podcast or wherever you like to listen get in touch with us on our website molecule to market pod.com and follow us on linkedin or twitter and we will see you again next week Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.